Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. Wait, John, there's a cult leader that actually confesses to (laughs) their facade? He's an honest liar, yeah. And to see their reactions when he tells them I'm not really a cult leader. Wait, and they got it on camera? It's all on camera. (laughs) Our top 10 list with some honorable mentions. Such a good list. Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. As always, if you're only listening and you want to see our faces and some things on the screen today, it's going to be a fun one. Go on over to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness, where you can like, you can subscribe, which I like to call you guys supporters. They are growing so fast, and it's so amazing to see all of the people who are helping me advocate for those who have left high-demand religions and groups advocate for those uh, survivors of abuse. It really means a lot to me that you're willing to support this cause and tell the algorithm that you like this channel so that it's going to boost it out to more people. So today's guest, you have seen him before. You already know who this is probably based on the studio. I'm here again in the Mormon Stories studio with John DeLynn. Hey, Jalise. Congrats <laughs> on all the growth. You and Jonathan, you guys are amazing. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. Yes, it's just been quite the journey, and it's super exciting. And uh, now I don't know if I should be looking at you or the camera, because normally I look into the camera, but I think I'm just going to look at you this <laughs> okay. time, and then I'll address the audience when I need to. Sounds good. But today, guys, we're going to do a really fun episode, because we were just brainstorming on ways that we could bring more awareness to these culty groups. And we were thinking, there are so many cult documentaries out right now. What if we give you a top 10 list, our top 10 favorite cult documentaries? This is not an exhaustive list, and this doesn't necessarily mean they are the best produced or the most informational or whatever it is. These are our favorites, so take it with a grain of salt. We're going to go into each of those, tell you why we like them, and also tell you why we think it's important. Right, John? Absolutely. Ones that I'm going to be talking about, probably some of the newer ones, the ones that came out when I started joining the cultiverse as someone who is speaking out against cult abuse. And the reason why I wanted to do this episode initially is because I have found that people who are leaving high-demand religions or cults often deconstruct because they see similarities in other groups before they ever see it in themselves. So, I mean, I'm sure if you grew up in something like that, you can be like, oh, yeah, we grew up Mormon and we said Jehovah's Witnesses, definitely a cult. Scientology, obviously a cult. But it takes a really long time to be able to hold the mirror up to yourself and flip it around and see the similarities. But once you do, it's usually staggering and the parallels are insane. And so we thought, what a better way to show people the ways that you can really start looking at your own childhood, your own background by pointing out these cult documentaries that we found to be really useful. Yeah. And I'll just echo that. Uh, I've been trying to work with people coming out of high demand religions or cults for like 20 years. And I always like to say, and this is not my original thinking, you know, no one thinks they've joined a cult. No one thinks they're in a cult. Mm -hmm. And, uh, But then also, if you try and tell someone they're in a cult, as we've discussed, you often create what's called the backfire effect, where they actually end up holding to their beliefs stronger Mm. uh, than than before you accuse them of being in a cult. And 
one of the ways to avoid that entire dynamic, because the last thing you want to do is make someone more committed to their, to their cult <laughs> their or dangerous their position. Behaviors, yeah, right? mm -hmm. yeah. But but a way to do that is to get them to start uh, watching other cult documentaries or dramatizations, and just so often their defenses are down. They're they're just uh, getting wrapped up in the story it's fun it's interesting it's dark it's sad it's terrifying and then all of a sudden they'll while their defenses are down start drawing those parallels so, yeah, yeah exactly and i would love it if you would be willing to share a little bit about your background and how you were able to draw parallels with cold documentaries oh yeah 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 so uh i i have to say i don't you know i think I started watching cult documentaries probably just 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and to be honest, I don't know if I told you the story, but it's only been in the past couple years that I've been willing to even talk about Mormonism um, in, in the class of being a cult. To use the C word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was my, it was my wife and one of my children that kind of woke me up to this because, you know, I, I still have a tender place in my heart for Mormonism in many ways. I kind yeah. of think of it now as an abusive parent where you have many good memories with an abusive parent. You love your abusive parent. In some ways you feel sympathy for your abusive parent, Yeah, but in other ways you're abused. And so, so even long after I had lost my faith, even long after I'd been excommunicated from my faith simply for, um, for, you know, uh, speaking openly about its problems, which is the sure sign of a cult that excommunicates its whistleblowers and truth tellers. Uh, I was sitting down with my wife, Margie, and one of my children, and they, you know, I just said, well, we don't, we don't refer to the art, you know, the Mormon church as a cult. And they just started getting mad at me. And I'm like, why are you getting mad at me? And they're like, you know, let me list you five or 10 things that are done in the Mormon church. If Scientology did those things, would you hesitate to call Scientology a cult? And <laughs> exactly. I'd be like, well, no, actually, that's a great point. And the LGBTQ, you know, deaths and suicides was just one. The misogyny, the the racism, the sexism, the control of information, the, the mind control, mm -hmm. the emotional manipulation, the behavior control. It's all there in Mormonism. Mm -hmm. But I, I, it's like calling your parent a monster. You don't want to call your parent a monster, even if they're yeah. abusive, right? Yeah, and that's such a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of times people are afraid to use a C word or they think it's, you know, it's only describes people who are sacrificing babies and they're like, that's not what we're doing. People are singing happy songs and loving each other. They're only bringing them cookies. Why is that so bad? And so I do think it's important to point out that oftentimes there are so many good things about these groups with an underlying tone of toxicity. And that's what ends up eating at you. That's what gets to you in the end. And that's really what these documentaries are trying to point out. They don't talk about all the good because people already know all the good, right? You don't join a cult. You join a good thing. You want to help make the world a better place. You want it to be, you want to have a peaceful life. You want to have all the answers. And when this cult comes to you and says, hey, guess what? I have all of the answers. Then you go, oh, great. I don't have to think about it anymore. You preach love and acceptance. That's what I want. And people slowly get desensitized to where they don't see the red flags anymore. The critical thinking goes away. You give away all of your power to these groups. And that's when it becomes harmful. So I'm sure there's going to be people in the comments saying that that documentary was extremely biased, extremely one-sided. And you're right. It probably is. But I also think it's too 
prove a point. It's to expose the dark underbelly. It's not to necessarily be a journalistic piece giving you both sides and unbiased information. I think it's meant to show the negative so that you can see what's actually going on behind the scenes because I've been shocked with these interviews, guys, with the things that people are sharing with me and I am just heartbroken at what people are going through that I had no idea happened in these groups or sometimes I didn't even know these groups existed. So I think these cult documentaries that are emerging right now, they're popping up right and left. People are either fascinated or they're seeing their story and they're feeling validated and they're saying, oh my gosh, finally someone is talking about these things. So that's why it's so important. And with that, I'm going to go into my first one, which is the one that was just released Shiny Happy People. And this is based on the IBLP or the Institute in Basic Life Principles that was created by Bill Gothard. It's not a religion. It's a set of principles that is generally within extreme Christian fundamentalism. So it can be in any different type of sect. And what happens in the IBLP that is so harmful is they really isolate their members so they aren't able to listen to worldly music, watch worldly television. Um, they have to dress a very specific way, which modesty is not a bad thing unless you are being forced to dress a certain way. And if you are being told that if you don't dress this way, then you should be ashamed or if something, an assault happens to you, then it's your fault. And it promotes this victim perpetrator environment where the victims are not only shamed, but they're blamed for things that are happening to them and the perpetrators are thanked. And I'm not making this up. This is part of the documentary. And if you want to know more from actual people who grew up in these cults, you can watch my latest episodes. I've interviewed two people on um, the IBLP and it is heartbreaking what they had to go through. So that's my first one. John, I know you just did an episode on it as well. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I love Shiny Happy People. Again, we just interviewed three of the participants in the documentary. Yeah. You know, I hadn't really followed the Duggars, you know, and it, you start out that documentary thinking it's about, what, 19 and counting? 19 the TLC, kids and counting, yeah. 19 kids and counting. But you find out really quickly that that they're just kind of like, the celebrity fronts yeah. for something much deeper, much darker, and much more insidious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, it's not often that evangelical Christianity or Christian fundamentalism has really been spotlighted. Yeah. It's always been, you know, Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, the newer uh, religions. Nexium. Uh -huh. So because evangelical Christianity and fundamental Christ Christianity in particular have such a powerful force, even in modern socio-political kind of realms. Yeah. For me, that's one of the most important things about the documentary. Not only does it explore the homeschooling movement, mm -hmm. but, it, but it explores Christian nationalism mm -hmm. in a way that also felt very familiar. I was seeing Mormonism in the modesty standards, in the slut shaming, in the law of chastity kind of stuff. But I saw, I saw Joseph Smith all over, um, you know, Bill, Gothard. Bill Gothard's life. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you don't see those parallels, you're not paying attention. So I love shiny, happy people. Hi, major thumbs up, but you took it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was my, um, so that's a really good one. Like John says, if you want to dive into extreme Christian fundamentalism, not necessarily one branch of Christianity and you can explore the purity culture and the shaming and the, kind of going back to an old way of living, it seems. They wanted things to be simpler, which 
in layman's terms, they just wanted control over women. It's a very patriarchal society, which, of course, that's everywhere. But this goes to the extreme where you literally belong to your father until he gives you away to your husband and then you are your husband's property. So there's a lot of problematic things within this documentary that I, I think are definitely worth watching, especially because I'm seeing in these comments, people are saying, oh, my gosh, I grew up that way. And I didn't even realize the cult parallels because that was my reality. That was normal to me. Now that someone's laying it out in such a black and white way, I can start to deconstruct my background and realize that wasn't my fault. And maybe there were some things going on here that I didn't quite understand. Thank you for shedding light on this. So that's why I'm listing that as my number one for today. I love it. All right, so that's number one of our top 10 favorite cults for today. Yes, your turn. All right. <laughs> so the first one I chose is a classic. It's called Going Clear Scientology in the Prison of Belief. Mm. It was released in 2015, which is the same year I was excommunicated from the Mormon Church. So it's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, and it's about, yeah, Scientology. And it was uh, released by HBO. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. It was nominated for seven Emmy Awards, winning three, including Best Documentary. And it's been one of the most popular cult documentaries of all time. So if I were to describe what it's about, it's it's about, and I'm reading this from, again, the Wikipedia entry, it deconstructs Scientology's claims by presenting a condensed history of the group and its founder, L. Ron Hubbard. Mm. So L. Ron Hubbard was the founder of Scientology. Like, mind-blowingly, he starts out as, like, he did some military Science service. He, he failed in the military. He started writing really bad pulp fiction, science fiction, kind of like almost, and he was moderately successful. Then he writes, you know, some self-help book. And, and there's this famous quote that we probably even mentioned on our previous episode. If you want to get rich, start a business. If you want to get really rich, start a religion. Wait, did he say that? I mean, I don't know. That? You know how like the internet always misquotes who the founder is? That's who I attribute that that quote mm, too. Okay. If you want to get really rich, start a religion. Right. And certainly he did because now Scientology is a billion dollar church. But it talks about how he pivoted from Pulp Fiction science, science fiction writer into self-help guru into Scientology and uh, talks about the Sea Org and, and how they had this sort of hyper-Orthodox group that they would send off in, in cruise ships to avoid, you know, legal challenges. Yep. A tax evasion, of course, all the sexual scandal, but also the really strange beliefs about, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, space aliens sent, you know, spirits or thetans into yeah. volcanoes and that we're all possessed. And of course, you need their self-help program to be audited. You pay, pay tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to be audited so that you can get these, what, thetans mm -hmm. purged from your body and the levels of Scientology. And of course, it talks about the celebrity, you know, the harnessing of celebrities like John Travolta, like Leah Remini, mm -hmm. like uh, Tom Cruise, mm -hmm. uh, to help shill for the religion. And um, it's just super powerful and everyone needs to see it. And uh, again, I saw I saw Joseph Smith all over L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, and, and actually, L. Ron Hubbard's successor, which was David Miscavige, yeah. I saw Brigham Young all right. over David Miscavige. And I saw the Osmonds and, and 
and many modern Mormon celebrities in yeah. Tom Cruise and John Travolta. Have you seen Going Clear yet? I haven't seen oh, it. My I've heard so much yeah. about it. So my next one would be the aftermath. But before I dive into that, I think just to piggyback on what you're saying, Scientology is such a good one because people can look at it, especially I would just say like your everyday Christian looking at Scientology and being like, they believe what? Like they're clearly crazy believing in aliens. And so it's easy to pin it down as a cult. But then, like you were saying, if you start to list the things like uh, you only get the, the highest information if you pay the most and you rise up the ranks. Well, you do that within Mormonism, right? You don't have to pay necessarily. Well, you do have to pay tithing to get to the temple. But there is information that is withheld until you are worthy enough to have it revealed to you. Um, we did an entire episode with Aaron from Growing Up in Scientology. He's got a great channel, too. I, I was telling you, John, I was like, he's like the you for Scientology <laughs> when it comes to his YouTube channel. And there are so many similarities. And so I think watching these Scientology cult documentaries are really, really a great way to get people to start opening their mind and seeing things from a different perspective, which is why my number two is the Leah Remini Scientology and the Aftermath, where she sits down with people kind of like I do or you do on our channels and interview people, let them tell their stories, and they are heartbreaking. And just what they go through and going bankrupt, giving all of their money to the church, taking out loans so that they can give it to the church. And the the disfellowshipping and the shunning, and they call it something else, and I, I'm forgetting the term right now, but they aren't al allowed to see people who are declared suppressive persons. So if I say, I don't really know about this Xenu thing. And even if I question it and I get audited about it, I could be cut off from my family and friends. And it's really, really damaging and and not okay. So again, I have multiple interviews with people from Scientology that you can go check out. But I love what Leah's doing specifically because she really humanizes everything. It's not seen in this broad strokes of um, Scientology does X, Y, and Z. You really get into the souls of people and you see personally what they went through. And that's what really brings people in and makes them realize it's not just a silly alien cult. They are doing real damage out there. Yeah, yeah. And I was fortunate enough to have to be on Leah Remini and Mike Rinder's podcast. Oh, great. Called Fair Game. Fair Game Podcast. Shout yeah. out to Leah and Mike Rinder. Yes. I think Mike Rinder just came out with a book. And I think also he just he announced that he is battling cancer. Yes. So love and shout out to Mike. Hoping you um good things with your your battle. But uh, back to David Miskovich. When you see this this um fair gaming tactic where they would send, you know, sue people into oblivion mm -hmm. or send camp people with cameras to harass people. Yeah. Um, and then just to learn that David Miskovich's wife it's hasn't missing. been seen for like five or 10 years. Right. And nobody knows where she is and she's probably dead or in prison. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's, it, it's almost like, I always like to say that kind of 
Mormons are lucky that Scientology exists because, you know, like, how do you compete with that? It's kind of hard to compete with Scientology. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty rough. And I will say one that does compete with it would be Nexium. Yeah, so oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. on my list. Yeah, we'll get there. L do you want to say anything else about Scientology before I move on? No, no, no. Just just check out both shows. Yeah. Actually, before I launch into mine, we were going to go back and forth. So you go and then I'll talk about the vow. Okay. All right. Yeah. We got to talk about the vow. Um, all right. So my next one is another classic. It's called Wild Wild Country. It's on Netflix. It's a uh, multi-part series, and it's about um, an Indian guru named the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. And I remember this guy because if you're growing up in kind of the late 80s, early 90s, you find out that this kind of uh, this cult was was developing in like northern Oregon. And Wait, it was, it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was by some Indian guru and he had like a hundred Rolls Royces and everyone who followed him walked around in these orange, I believe orange tunics. Okay. And, uh, you know, eventually that, that's kind of all you knew is like, what is this Indian guru dude doing in Northern Oregon with all these weird followers having a hundred Rolls Royces? And then all of a sudden, you know, it was all broken up, you know, for tax evasion. But what Wild Wild Country does is it gets into his history becoming a really famous guru in India, how he decided that he wanted to make it almost like the Beatles. He wanted to make it big in America. So he brings his cult to Oregon uh -huh. and he sets up this, this commune where they try and have a self-sustaining community in like rural Oregon. And, uh, you know, they have like wild sex rituals and parties where like the, these rural Oregon neighbors are like hearing the moaning and the groaning of the members <laughs> of the community. I'm not joking. Oh, um, no. But, but the real star of the show is actually not Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, but he has this assistant named Sheila, Ma Anand Sheila. And she's like the enforcer. He's kind of like the guru kept behind the scenes who everyone kind of worships, yeah. but she's the enforcer. And, you know, without kind of, without giving too much away, it ends up with an entire town having their drinking water poisoned. <gasps> like it's crazy stuff. Whoa. And uh, it's a multi-part series. And for Margie and me, it's definitely one of our top five documentaries. And and you got to check it out. Yeah. You Shalice. know what? I would love to watch that and then get someone from the documentary to come and talk about it. Because that is one part of the cultiverse that we haven't necessarily dived into yet, which is when self-help and the yogi and the spiritualism gets really culty. Because it certainly can. I mean, you can... Usually it goes from like either you're religious or you're spiritual and people are like, well, they went from one cult to another, for example. I think any belief system in any direction can get culty. So I'm definitely, definitely interested in talking about the spiritualism and the mysticism and all of that when that becomes just not okay. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing I do want to mention, and this kind of ties back to your intro, one of the most powerful moments of Wild Wild Country, and I want you viewers, listeners, to remember this in every cult documentary you watch. There's this really powerful scene at the end where they're interviewing one or two of the former cult members. By this time, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh has been kicked out of the United States. There's been mm. sex scandal, abuse, literally poisoning of towns. Wow. Uh, and he's and and 
they didn't want a Waco where it would like descend into complete, you know, death and destruction. And so, uh, you know, they, they, it was almost like with the FBI, they negotiated an escape where he would just leave the country to avoid like a Waco like meltdown. Mm. But one of the most powerful parts is in the end where a few of the former participants just look into the camera and say, yeah, it was a mess, but it was the happiest time of my life. And you'll get so many cult members say it was abusive. It was destructive. It ended in calamity. And while I was in it, I've never been happier. And that's an important point to remember Yeah, is that you can't always trust your happiness because sometimes that happiness comes at a very deep, dark cost. I just had yeah. to say that. Yeah. And that leads perfectly into the vow because Mark Vicente, who we just released an interview with him, you can go watch it. He uh, was part of the vow documentary exposing. He was a huge reason that actually Keith Raniere got taken down in the first place. So let me back up for people who are not familiar. Nexium, it is a self-help cult. So it's, they wouldn't say it's self-help cult. They would say it's a self-help group where you can learn how to become the best version of yourself. And from the outside, it's like, yeah, sounds great. I mean, I was watching the first episode and I was like, sounds like something I would want to join. <laughs> Just, it made sense. If you have any sort of shiny, happy view of the world and you want it to become a better place, if you want to make yourself better, if you want to better relationships, if you want a better career, better love life, then this cult is for you, right? That's kind of the pitch and they get you in there. So what happened was it turned into something really dark and twisted where Keith Raniere, he is the leader, the creator of it. They claimed that he's the smartest man in the world. And he um, was a concert pianist and and all these different things that weren't actually true, but everyone believed it. And he was kind of that humble leader. And it also kind of reminds me of Joseph Smith in the way he would get people to talk about him. So he never had to bolster or bolster up himself. And he was that humble well, I don't know much, but, and he would go on for five hours talking about things that people were just like, what? Uh, Sarah, who you've interviewed, Sarah calls Evanson. it, she calls yeah. it the word salad, where like he says a bunch of stuff, but it doesn't really mean anything. It's just a bunch of words. And um, so Nexium, what happened was he got power hungry. He started just making these people so subservient to him to where they would call Mark specifically, Mark Vicente, he would call him at four in the morning or two in the morning. And I want to go for a walk. Let's go for a walk. And I need you to jot down my ideas. And I need you to record every single thing that I say, audio recordings, video recordings. And that is why they had so much evidence to bring him down. His ego was his demise. And what happened was through that control, it got funneled down into a group of women called DOS, D-O-S, I believe. And they were essentially his sex slaves or they were building up to that. And they had this, this whole organization where these women would bring in other women. They would make them give collateral. And usually those were nude photographs or a confessional of something that never happened and things that if it got out, it would ruin their lives. And so when these women were eventually initiated in, they were branded with not even like a cow brand where like you a, put it in the iron. They soldered it into their like skin. a cauterizer. A yeah. cauterizing yeah. iron. Thank yeah. you. And that is where it gets very culty and obviously into the sex cult thing. So he's now in prison. So if you want to know all about that, there are 
hundreds of hours of footage and they compile they comprise it all into the vow on hbo it's literally two seasons guys and it's so many episodes because there's so much damning footage and when you watch it your jaw will just hit the floor of like why is anyone following this guy yeah and i'll just i'll just quickly add that sarah edmondson has a, a biography called scarred yes and she and her husband nippy have a wonderful podcast called a little bit culty yes we've had them on mormon stories we brought them to a thrive event but sarah and nippy are great and uh you know check them out as well yeah sarah's yeah. awesome i actually just joined a little culty writers group with her <laughs> and a couple other authors of cult memoirs uh she's been on the show as well guys if you want to check out her interview so i want to Join that group. Yeah. <laughs> Coley Riders group. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, all right. So what's your next one? Okay. Um, so my number three, this is our number five. Is this five or six? This is six, I think. Um, I think so. This one is The Deep End. So The Deep End is a four-part documentary series on Hulu, and it's about a, sort of a new age influencer and uh, author Ooh. named Teal Swan. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, she didn't grow up uh, with that name. But what's interesting about Teal Swan to me was that she grew up in Cache Valley, Utah right. as an ever Mormon. And uh, so that's, you know, I lived in, my, my mom's from the Cache Valley area. Uh, and then I lived in Logan, North Logan for like 12 years. But she grows up as kind of the child of some hippies in very Mormon uh, Cache Valley. But she's kind of a problematic, almost a... Um, almost a borderline personality disorder kind of child, a lot of self-harm, suicidality, um, acting out in ways regarding sexuality and pornography use, not to shame anyone for anything, but just a really troubled teen. Mm. And she latches on to kind of this uh, satanic ritual abuse recovered memory kind of movement that's still was lingering throughout Utah. And that I just want to give a quick... Satanic Panic movement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really quickly, the author of the Going Clear book that the documentary is based on is Lawrence Wright. And Lawrence Wright has another book that was like his first breakout book called Remembering Satan. Oh. And it documents the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s and 2000s that swept not just Utah, but the entire country. Well, that satanic memory slash recovered memory um, sort of uh, movement was still reverberating around Utah when Teal was growing up. And so mm -hmm. she gets with some therapists in Cache Valley and starts remembering all this um, satanic ritual abuse that happened to her that actually never happened to her, mm -hmm. almost certainly never happened to her. But in her mind, through some really unethical, dysfunctional therapists, mm. created this story about herself that she was like, I don't know, buried in a pit, forced to like kill babies and mm. eat them and sacrifice their hearts and goats and, you know, pentagrams and just all that stuff that we know now is is generally, um, you know, invalid, not yeah. credible. Yeah. But um, she went on to believe it and still believes it. And then she took that and grew it into kind of this YouTube social media movement where, again, like Keith Raniere, like uh, L. Ron Hubbard, like Joseph Smith, she was able to sort of absorb the conventional New Age wisdom of the day um, and, and create a bunch of YouTubes 
that that made people who felt lo- lost, who felt lonely, who felt suicidal, made them want to follow her. Yeah. But she took it one step further because she started realizing that there was a lot of good SEO, search engine optimization, around suicidality. So she started talking about suicidality, uh, afterlives, and she got in huge trouble for sort of popularizing the idea that if your life really sucks, don't worry, you can get reincarnated. And so don't think that suicide's a super awful thing. It can be just as easy as hitting the reset button and you can be born in to your next life. And the whole Chad Daybell, Lori Vallow stuff is just another spinoff of this idea of multiple lives, reincarnation, multiple probation that just gets people in a lot of trouble. I think Teal Swan is super dangerous and the documentary, The Deep End, is just a fantastic look at not a traditional cult, but kind of a new age cult. And we need to not forget about those. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You had a great interview with her childhood best friend. Yeah. And yeah, that was really interesting to hear her perspective on things. And I think one of the other more dangerous parts about Teal Swan's following or the cult that she has created is that she brings people up on stage and then she tells them that they have repressed memories and she implants memories into them. She passes it on. Live on stage. And these people are now living with this accepted trauma and like you said there is just so many people who ended up taking their lives sadly because they think oh well i'll just like she said hit the reset button so when it comes to the the utah cults we're gonna get into keep sweet pray and obey (laughs) so that is following warren jeffs and the fundamentalist latter-day saints so the flds for short um it was a cult that was kind of passed down from Rulon Jeffs to Warren. He's also kind of like uh, Brigham Young in a way that he took over. He kind of shoved himself in there as the leader and created a lot more rules, a lot more harm and abuse within these uh, within these walls in Colorado Spring City. I always say it wrong. Colorado City. So okay, yeah. Colorado City. I always have a mini <laughs> panic attack. I'm like, oh, which one? I always forget. Yeah. Um, so keep sweet, pray, and obey is a really good one to expose what's going on in these fundamentalist groups and also show. Not only the polygamy, because that's the major thing. I missed the punchline there. Um, It's a polygamist group. When they split off from mainstream Mormonism, there was a bunch of different splits or people when they stopped practicing polygamy in Utah. They said, no, Joseph Smith said we need to continue practicing polygamy. And so they started their own different sects within it. So with the Warren Jeffs cult specifically, it got really, really, really harmful where he's marrying children. He's in prison now because of the sexual abuse of children and uh, just the amount of rules and restrictions. And I mean, talk about behavior control and information control. I've done a few interviews with people who have left the FLDS and other sects of polygamy, like with Amanda Ray and with Calvin. So you can go check those out if you want to do a deep dive. But Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey was my first introduction into polygamy actually and I was like wow I didn't realize how harmful it was I knew that polygamy happened and I figured women were uncomfy with it but I had no idea the depths of the abuse that was going on behind it yeah yeah for me there are a couple super a couple of the super disturbing parts the first was he actually has an there's an audio recording of him marrying like a 12 or 13 year old girl in one of his temples where he incorporated a sex act 
into his temple marriage. Yeah. And so there's there's actually, and this is super disturbing, but there's actually auto audio recordings of him having sex with these Ugh. children as part of what he called a temple slash marriage ceremony. So that's that's a spoiler, but it's also like a you know um, just a, a warning that it's a very, trigger warning. Yeah, very, for sure. Very disturbing. Also, what was super disturbing is how like if ever you qu- crossed Warren Jeffs. Uh, and, and you were like a, a fellow member of the community. He had given you several wives. First of all, the fact that he was able to decide who got to marry who, he would literally just assign these 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old girls, assign them to men if they were wealthy, if they were successful, if they did his bidding. It would be Warren that would get to decide what girls got <laughs> married to what men. But then just to, even more disturbingly, I don't know, uh, is if any man crossed Warren Jeffs or if Warren just got paranoid about some man's influence getting too powerful, these men would be excommunicated from the movement, shunned, and the wives and children would be reassigned (laughs) either to himself or to other men. (gasps) And, you know, so that was super disturbing. Um, And then the final thing I'll just say that was most disturbing for me is once you see Warren Jeffs in action, you realize that all he was doing was taking pages out of joseph smith's playbook 100 and, and while i don't i can't claim that joseph smith was having sex with 12 year old girls in his temple so there were things that warren jeffs did that were kind of even worse than joseph smith if you did a venn diagram of warren jeffs behaviors and joseph smith's behaviors i think it would be 80 to 95 percent <laughs> overlap because if somebody wanted to describe the meaningful differences between Warren Jeffs and Joseph Smith, I would think they would have a really hard time yeah. making those distinctions. And that yeah. was super disturbing as someone coming up because it's like all oh, those FLDS people, they're crazy, <laughs> right? Warren Jeffs is super bad, <laughs> right? And it's like, well, take a look back at your own tradition. You know exactly. What I, mean? yeah. I was one of those Mormons and in every uh, fundamentalist interview that I do with people from these groups, fundamentalist Mormons, I always tell them, I'm like, I'm sorry. I was one of those annoying people that were like, those guys are Mormon. They can't call themselves Mormon. They just do things that are not actually Mormon. And then when I learned about the real history of the church, I was like, oh, that's embarrassing because they're actually following the teachings closer than mainstream Mormonism is today. Yeah. So awkward. Yeah. In some sense, they're more true to Joseph Smith. Uh, Warren Jeffs in the FLDS church is way more true to Joseph Smith than the modern Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yep. And which is also why this is a perfect one for Mormons out there if you are deconstructing Mormonism and you can easily point to the FLDS as a cult. I would highly recommend looking into the church history as a whole and you may find yourself a little bit surprised. Yeah. Yeah. My number four, I think our number eight in our top 10 list is called God Forbid. Have you seen it? Mm -mm. So it's on Hulu. And for, okay, so I'll just read. It's a revealing documentary about a man named Giancarlo Granda. He was a former pool attendant at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami. And it shares intimate details about his seven-year relationship with a charming older woman named Becky Falwell. Does that name Falwell mean anything to you? It doesn't know. That's okay. You're <laughs> you're uh quickly becoming the expert in cults. But so Jerry Falwell is historically over the past 30, 40, 50 years, it's like going back in the 70s and 80s, it was like Billy Graham 
and Jimmy Swaggart and uh, and um, you know Jim and Tammy Baker and Jerry Faldwell. These were sort of the evangelical Christians that brought evangelical Christianity into mainstream as televangelists that became multimillionaires, tens, hundreds millionaires, I don't know, even billionaires doing doing televangelism. So Jerry Falwell is one of the top five to 10 televangelists of all time. And um, his son, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., sort of, um, you know, started coming on the scene. And what what they did is they created a university called Liberty University. And believe it or not, there is a private religious-based university that's way bigger than BYU. Did you know that? No. I think it's like two to three times bigger than BYU. I think I think it's in Virginia, and it's called Liberty University. Uh-huh. And it's the Faldwells that created Liberty University. And so while Jerry Faldwell was doing his thing, um, merging basically the Republican Party with evangelical Christianity, fighting abortion and and uh, fight you know fighting feminism and promoting kind of traditional families and all that stuff. His kind of son was starting to become the leader of, of Liberty University. And long story short, Jerry Falwell Jr.'s wife takes a liking to this pool boy named John Carlo Granda and takes him in to their marriage in sort of this kind of interesting polyamorous relationship, not to shame anyone from the poly community. But what was interesting and kind of salacious was that Jerry Falwell Jr., the president of Liberty University, the son of legendary televangelist Jerry Falwell, he liked to sit in the corner and watch his wife and Giancarlo Mm. kind of go at it. Mm -hmm. And um, over time... Uh, it wasn't just that, but but it, it became you know some photos emerged of Jerry Falwell Jr. with with kind of younger uh, college students you know with like him with his pants unbuttoned next to a a, a a young woman at the university who was pregnant and like and anyway long story short he ends up resigning as as president of Liberty University in scandal. But what is the twist that for me is so powerful about God forbid is it's really not about Giancarlo. It's not about Becky Falwell or Jerry Falwell Jr. or even about Jerry Falwell. It's about how the evangelical Christian community sort of betrayed what it claims to be as its core moral values and helped get Donald Trump elected into office. And that's Mm -hmm. not to say that you or me or in any way politically partisan, that Democrats are good and Republicans are bad. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is the evangelical Christian movement was always about traditional family values. And it just kind of laid bare the hypocrisy, not just of televangelists, but of their support for Donald Trump, which by any standard embodies uh, the opposite of what evangelical Christianity has traditionally claimed to stand for. Right. I I don't think anybody can argue that he stands for anything different. Right. When you're looking at moral principles alone, it's a little bit questionable. Yeah. And I am not familiar with that one, so I can't really add a whole lot. That was beautiful. (laughs) Well done. Um, Check it out. You will love it. I will check it out. God forbid. So speaking of sex things, we're going to get into one taste. Now, this one is fairly new. This is your fifth. In fact, this This is is my fifth. And it's kind of a... 
it kind of comes out of right field or left field or whichever field you're not in because you're like, where is this coming from? It is an orgasm cult. It has nothing to do with religion or even really spirituality and everything to do with getting off women. And normally you'd be like, Shalise, that sounds like a good thing. And to which I would agree. But the way that it ended up going and the the descent of it was very sinister. And the example would be Nicole Daydone. She started this orgasm group called One Taste, teaching men how to get off women. And they do these seminars and <laughs> it just shows in the documentary. I don't know why I was so shocked by this. And maybe it's because my Mormon background is like, oh my gosh, someone's up there spread eagle. But they had a woman spread eagle on the stage and they would literally give demonstrations of what they would call stroking. And everyone just watches this woman get off and then they're like, sure, sign me up. So that seems all fine and dandy, but what ended up happening was within these groups, they would start to recruit people to start working for the organization or recruiting for the organization. According to the documentary, they wouldn't pay them or wouldn't give them the raise that they were promised for all of their hard work. People are barely sleeping. And then when people don't sign up for the seminar, if there is, for example, uh, a miss. If there's too many men and not enough women, they would in some way, shape, or form force the female employees to be models, to be stroked, which is incredibly intimate, as you can all imagine. And so it felt like a sex trafficking situation where these women are being forced to give of their bodies for these demonstrations. Now, to your point, John... Some of these women may not have any issue with it. They may say, yeah, it was problematic, but it was great. I'm orgasming. What's the problem? But when you really start to dissect the inner workings of the cult, you start to realize that it's not a healthy environment for people. And it started to get a little bit distorted. And I believe we can uh, double check. I'll double check while you're doing your next one. But I believe she was just put in prison. So these are very, very serious accusations, and I think One Taste did a great job of exposing that. And I did do an episode with somebody named Ruan who was on part of the documentary. He came to me wanting to share his story, and I was like, cool, let's do it. And one of the things that everybody notices is he doesn't seem to have deconstructed from the cult at all. He was very defensive about it and talked very fondly of his time there. And I was trying to provoke some feelings in him as far as what do you think about sex trafficking? And everyone felt he was splitting hairs a little bit. So it's one of those tricky ones where there's a very fine line between exploring and having a healthy view of sexuality and it getting distorted and abusive. Wow. And that's the only one of your five that I haven't actually seen. Really? So thank you for giving me one that I <laughs> yeah. that I can watch. Margie and I can check that out. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your last one? All right. So this is my number five. I think it's our number 10. Shalise, this, I, I think this is one you haven't seen and I think it's going to blow your mind. The my number five documentary is called Kumare. Okay. And check this out. So uh, this documentary is on Netflix. It came out in 2011. Okay. So this is like, you know, for cult documentaries, it's kind of earlier, yeah. at least in the streaming era. But it's about this dude named Vikram mm. Gandhi. Okay. And his ancestors were from India. So he, you know, if, if you look at if you looked at him without him saying a word, you'd go, oh, that guy's Indian. Mm -hmm. But the truth is he grows up in like Detroit and he does not have an Indian accent. He's just a normal kid 
who's like a second, you know, second generation or whatever. But he he sees around him uh this trend to, you know, to kind of adore and worship Indian gurus. Uh. So I think he's a film student and he decides he wants to make a documentary about Westerners' tendency to kind of idolize and worship Indian gurus. He, I think he tries to find actual gurus to study, but he can't find any. And this is a documentary. So what he decides to do is to create a, to become a fictional guru. So he grows out his facial hair. He adopts a fake Indian accent that's actually not his Indian accent, puts on this orange tunic, moves to Phoenix, and he starts a cult. As a as almost like a Borat right. kind of kind of character, and it 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 chronicles him assuming this fake character, moving to Phoenix, and starting a cult. And sure enough, people start following, you know, joining around him, following the things that he does. He makes up these strange and odd beliefs and practices and behaviors, and people you watch them transform into followers and believers before your own eyes, while he is completely making the whole thing up. It's it's super fascinating. And, you know, it ends, you know, spoiler alert, it ends with him telling his followers that he's not really who he says he <gasps> Wait, was. Wait, John, there's a cult leader that actually confesses to <laughs> yes. their facade? He's an honest liar. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And to see their reactions... When he tells them, I'm not really a cult leader. Wait, and they got it on camera? It's all on camera. <laughs> it's an amazing, you got to see Kumare. Yeah. And that's why it rounds out my top five and our wow. top 10 favorite documentaries. We have a couple honorable mentions. Do you want to, do you want to mention any honorable mentions? I and do. Then, honorable okay. mention Mormon No More. Yeah. Uh, such Shout a good one. Shout out to one. Sal and Lena. Sal right? and Lena. Yeah. Yes. You've had them on your channel. I've had them on my channel. Such an inspirational story. I don't want to give away anything. So just go watch Mormon No More. And before you give your honorable mention, I Googled this and this is a, a headline. Uh, San Francisco guru who founded orgasmic meditation cults, One Taste, heads to court with Entourage after being charged with keeping women in residential warehouses where they were forced into sex acts. Mm. And this was June 2023. So this is recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just wanted to clarify that with well, a little great. bit of research. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many other really good cult documentaries. I'm just going to name a few. You had mentioned, so it's not a documentary, but you had mentioned Under the Banner of Heaven. Oh, so good. uh, The the, the recent dramatization of John Krakauer's book, Under the Banner of Heaven. Absolutely recommend it. Uh, There's another documentary that I was actually um, a part of. It's called Believer. It was an HBO documentary. It's about the Imagine Dragons frontman, Dan Reynolds. Um, about his awakening uh, about Mormonism not necessarily being what he thought it was. And it also chronicles his awakening to becoming an LGBTQ ally. Uh, it involves, uh, it includes Tyler Glenn, the lead singer of Neon Trees, who was also raised Mormon. And they actually had me on to kind of talk about my my research in LGBTQ kind of advocacy. So check out HBO uh, Believer, the documentary. A couple others that aren't documentaries, but are just great cult related movies there's a there's a movie called spotlight mm-hmm. which is a dramatization that chronicles the catholic church's systemic uh child abuse mm-hmm. with its priests and pedophilia 
and um, you know, that was a global phenomenon, but it talks about the reporters in Boston that broke open uh, the priest pedophilia scandal. Spotlight, definitely one of the top 10 favorite movies of all time. And then, um, yeah, there's another one called uh, Holy Hell, um, which I really recommend. So those are some of my favorites. So Such that's our top list. 10 list with some honorable mentions. Such a we good list. It. So for the people who want to get out a pen and write this down right now, I'm just going to list my top five. Then you list your top five. We have them all in a row. We got Shiny Happy People, Keep Sleep, Pray, and Obey, Leah Remini, Scientology, and The Aftermath. The Vow, Two Seasons, buckle in for that one, guys. One Taste, and the honorable mention is Mormon No More. Yeah, and mine are uh, mine are Going Clear, Wild Wild Country, uh, The Deep End, uh, God Forbid, and uh, Kumare with an honorable mention of uh, Believer and, and Spotlight. So good. Well, it wouldn't be a, a Cults to Consciousness episode if we didn't do a Linda Listen. So I'm going to do a Linda Listen, and then I want to get your Linda Listen, a spicy statement to somebody either who's pissed you off or some advice. I think I want to go a spicy statement that has some advice in it. So I would say, Linda Listen, if you think you're not in a cult and you're too afraid to do the research and maybe check into your own beliefs— that's probably a sign that you might be in a cult. So watch these documentaries, write a list of the ways they're culty, and see if you see some similarities. And if you don't, congratulations, you're not in a cult and you were brave enough to do the exercise. <laughs> and mine's going to be very similar and maybe even repetitive. Mine will be simply, Linda, listen, nobody thinks they're in a cult when they're in a cult. <laughs> so sometimes seeing cult documentaries are the way that you can actually uh, identify the water that you didn't even know you were swimming in. So check yes. out cult documentaries, not just to make fun of or empathize with people who have been abused in other traditions, but maybe to find out that you've been uh, in high demand religion or cult yourself. Yeah. And I also want to add, I get a lot of people in the comments talking about the cult of narcissism and how they're relating to people who grew up in high demand religions. And they say, I've never been in a cult, but I was raised by narcissistic, narcissistic parents. And I think that's also something to take into consideration if you are wanting to do any sort of deconstruction around the way that you were raised and maybe change your life into a more peaceful one, if that's something that you feel called to do. So I just had to throw that out there. And, and I'll just add, no discussion of cults would be complete without mentioning the work of Stephen Hassan right. and his bite model. Uh, you know, shout out to, to Steve. I think Stephen recommended to me a documentary on Heaven's Gate. That's a cult mm, we didn't talk about. Right. Um, Stephen Hassan was a part of uh, the Moonies himself. But I just want to throw out a challenge. Number one, a challenge to all of you to check out Stephen Hassan's great work. Combating Cult Mind Control is a book that you should all read. I love Stephen. I've interviewed him on Mormon Stories. But also, Stephen Hassan, why haven't you come on Cults to Consciousness yet? <laughs> you need to come on this podcast. I'm throwing it down, Stephen. Come on Cults to Consciousness or uh, your life won't get, be complete. Wow, John. Thank you. <laughs> and you can share Stephen this segment. That's you can share amazing. With this segment. We have been in contact with this <laughs> team we're working on it so maybe the stars will align and it will happen hopefully uh well this has been so much fun we could talk forever i love going back and forth with you it's just a good time as always so guys go support john go follow him at mormon stories podcast subscribe to him he has so much amazing content over there go support him on patreon is it patreon.com slash mormon stories uh, donor box go to mormonstories.org click on the donate button that's the best way to sub 
subscribe Perfect. and follow us and subscribe on all the TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. all the places. Yeah. We'll put all the links down below. Yeah. And if you want to support this podcast, guys, it would mean the world. You could become a patron, patreon.com slash close to consciousness. If you are unable to support financially, just sharing the video, watching the video, commenting, telling the algorithm that you like it reaches more people. I really appreciate that as well. And until next time, follow your highest excitement to be conscious and be well. Bye, everybody. Good job, Jonathan. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Colts to Consciousness or reach out by email at Colts to Consciousness at gmail.com.